You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where it is going to be imperative tonight that you get a drink from Ruby. Uh, Make sure she just keeps them coming to you. Uh, We've got a very interesting topic and I've got some great people here with me. In fact, I'd like to call this my Marvel posse (laughs) and... uh, we got Andy. Andy, it is great to have you back in the 602 because, yeah, well, I mean, you're one of the key members of the Marvel Posse. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, I like this new nickname. We're going to stick with it. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Daniel, uh, you would have to be here as well because, well, we make up the trinity now of the Marvel Posse. Yeah, I, I will say I'm happy to be here um, in, in as part of the Posse. You know, the topic, well, I guess we'll get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we do jump in the topic, just want to remind everybody that uh, 602 Club is a part of Trek FM, which we have 20 different shows for you to check out. You can find them all at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. You can also find us online at Trek.FM. You can find all the shows that we do. Uh, I encourage everyone to check out the different shows. I mean, we have a representation from so many of the shows here. Daniel on Earl Grey. We have Andy on Women at Warp. And then myself with, of course, the 602 Club here, the Orb, Literary Tracks. And then we have so many more shows for you to check out. So do that at uh, iTunes.com slash TrekFM. If you'd like to contact us, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to Trek.FM slash contact. You could leave us a voicemail. We'd love to have some voicemails about the show, especially I think we'd like to have some voicemails on on the topic tonight. You can do that in the sidebar on the show page or go to SpeakPipe.com slash TrekFM. We're also on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And, of course, our listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference, and more on that later. Guys, um, so we are going to be talking about the brand-new film, Fantastic Four. And interesting topic because I, I think any anybody who's looked or is kind of aware of film knows that if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, Right now, this movie is at a whopping 9% uh, good reviews. I'd kind of like to be the guy who was like one of the eight reviews that was good for the film. Um, and I'd love to talk to him to see how he he decided that it was going to be okay to make this movie at least fresh in his eyes. Um, but um, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Um, the Fantastic Four is a comic that's been around since 1961. Uh, it, it really uh, was revolutionary for its time. Uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby really developed um, some characters uh, that people really la- latched onto. I mean, uh, th- and it was very different from what anybody had seen really before. I mean, these are characters who kind of squabbled. They would hold grudges. Uh, they could be petty. And it was just a really different way of looking at uh, comic book characters. And in the end... Um, Throughout the 60s and then the 70s and the 80s, Marvel and its approach really started to take over. And um, then uh, in the 2000s, uh, the Fantastic Four were kind of remodeled 
in the ultimate Fantastic Four in the ultimate Marvel Universe, which kind of changed the, the, the way the characters interacted. A lot of times it would make them younger. And uh, I, I just, I guess in the end, a little bit more peevish. And uh, there have been two previous attempts at films. Uh, this is where uh, Chris Evans first suited up in, in, in movies uh, as superhero. And uh, he was playing the Johnny Storm in that film. And, and uh, those previous movies had the wonderful Rotten Tomatoes scores of 27 and 37, respectively. Um, do you guys have any history with uh, the Fantastic Four? And, and of course, I mean, you know, in the 2000s, 2005, and then uh, later on with Silver Surfer, did you guys see those? Yes, but I barely remember them. Uh, I, I, I also saw them and kind of agree with Rotten Tomatoes that they may be two to three times better than, than this film. <laughs> <laughs> It's not saying they're good. I'm not. I'm not going to say that they're good films. I'm just saying they are definitely remark uh, an, uh, an improvement over what we get here. I think it, the fact that Chris Evans is in the movie helps. I mean, he he wasn't a huge star then, but I I liked him even then, and and so um, I think probably a little bit of my Captain America love transfers back if I were to go back and watch those films, um, and I. I it was a different time for comic book movies, and they were kind of just cheesy and goofy. Um, and, and in some ways, that's a little bit more lovable than what we get in this movie. Um, you know, the the ultimate universe uh, from Marvel does take things into a, uh, oh, the, the, the wonderful catchphrase that everybody loves to throw around, the a little bit darker, a little bit grittier, uh, and everybody's even a little bit more jerky towards each other uh, in the the ultimate universe. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting that this movie decided, one, to go with that so the characters could be younger, but two, so that you could take what I think is funny, the idea of a rock man, Elastiboy, Invisibility Girl, and a human rocket and make those darker and grittier and i mean they're just ridiculous i mean it, but that's what should be kind of fun about it right yeah well you would think yeah <laughs> if you're if, <laughs> if, if you know the leader of your team is a guy who can make his body part springy uh, slinky like uh, uh yeah you're gonna have to kind of take it you know take it for what it is and uh it just kind of enjoy it. Um, yeah, I mean, tonally, it doesn't make any sense. This film makes zero sense. And it's one of the biggest problems with it is the fact that, yeah, I mean, of, of, of all of the comic book properties, and there are a couple that are on the same level, but the Fantastic Four is something that should just be like... Like in the beginning, uh, he mentions that... He, you know, the teacher mentions, oh, what, are you working on your flying car? And he's like, no, I've given that up. Which I actually thought was actually a pretty good nod. But that's like, they have a flying car and they all do their thing. And, and it's supposed to be fun. And this movie has 0% fun. Yeah, it really does. And I think, I, I've, I've heard it said on another podcast, and I really like this. You know, the Fantastic Four has to be fantastical. You know, it, it needs to be out there and kind of ridiculous. You know, it if if somebody has a jetpack, say like um, 
in like Tomorrowland or something. That's kind of what you expect to see in a Fantastic Four movie. Like goofy off the wall science fictiony science based around some some characters like this. And and honestly, just what comes to mind for me is The Incredibles. And that's basically like you shoved, you know, a spy movie in with the Fantastic 4 and made it with a family and made it animated. It's it's the same thing. You know, you have the the same type of characters basically and um they're able to pull it off really well because they get the fact that there's kind of a winking at the camera campiness to it. I mean, when Edna tells you that you shouldn't have a cape, <laughs> no capes. I mean, you know you're winking at the at the audience and uh, this movie like is taking itself so seriously. It it, it kind of leaves me hanging. I don't know. Yeah, the Incredibles is my Behind the Toy Story series is my absolute favorite uh, Pixar film. And I just, it, it's amazing to think of, if you take that as a kind of a prototype of how to do a good movie like this, especially since it's obviously very clearly has a lot of Fantastic Four influences, uh, they could not have been further from the mark with this film. Like, And really, that that The Incredibles is more the Fantastic Four and a half, because you have Jack-Jack. Uh, but oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but it, it's so it's such a great fun film, but still has those like really emotional moments because guess what they are a family in that film, and and that's where like you start to feel for them and where you start to identify with them. And at no point in this film do I identify with the number one thing I think that comic fans love about the Fantastic Four. I never felt like these people were a family. I don't even think these people wanted to be around each other. Even the brother and sister didn't really even get along, and it was like they're. And then all of a sudden they do for the final battle, and that and like, mm. no, I didn't. You, you you didn't even earn that. Not even one yeah. bit. Like not for one second of this film that I think anybody even liked anybody else in the room. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow you on this journey. Well, uh, Andy, so this this movie, it, you know, a lot of comic book movies take themselves seriously, or at least the subject matter seriously. Um, all the Marvel films take themselves seriously that we've seen from Marvel. Um, the X-Men films do too, uh, but they also know how to interweave the humor and the fun in there to, to make it work, you know, um, and it's kind of interesting to me to watch a um, a Marvel movie like this with the Fantastic Four and the people that we're talking about basically try to go all Dark Knight on us, you know, whereas, I don't know... What do you think about that idea of like the seriousness in, in, in superhero movies and actually how to make that work? For uh, Can you make that work, Andy, with a film like Fantastic Four? Does it need to be just more fun? I think you can. Look at Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy is a super weird movie if you break it down. And it has some really fantastical strange things in it. I mean, they have a, talk, a tree and a talking raccoon. Um, and they managed to make it both fun and serious. Like, at no point do they, like, don't take that world building seriously in that movie. It's just the fact that they have fun with it. They know what kind of movie they're making. Um, in this movie, somebody asked me, like, what the number one thing that I think they went wrong with in this movie. And there was two things that come up to me. And the first and most important thing is something that Daniel just touched on, which is that these characters barely interact with each other 
We have no sense of who they are. We have no sense of their relationships. Basically, in the end, we don't care about them at all. And you can see, like, if you put it right next to Guardians, Guardians does a good job of making us understand who those characters are and why such strange and disparate characters would work together throughout a course of a movie. So it can be done. In this movie, they don't even try. Like, I'm pretty sure that Sue and Johnny have two scenes in the whole movie in which they directly interact, and both of them are, like, passing. Like, two seconds and they're done. Um, How are we supposed to get a sense of them as family members when we don't get to see them be family members? Or, like, you have this whole story about how Ben and Reed are supposed to be best friends, and we barely see them together. It's just, I don't know how they expect us to care about characters when it doesn't seem like they care about their characters and they spend no time developing them or their relationships. It's really disappointing. I think you hit uh, something on the head. You know, when I think of Guardians, I always just think of the opening and how they start with the swagger. You know, this is going to be fun. They immediately let you know, we're here to have a great time. So come along with us. And, 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 you know, and yeah, I mean, they're doing world building and everything. But the the very first thing they tell you in that film is we're going to have fun. So just, you know, let some things go like, you know, uh, a talking tree and a raccoon um, and just come along with on the ride with us. And, and, and I think starting off with that kind of swagger, it it allows you to let go of all the ridiculousness and just enjoy yourself in it in a fun, you know, imaginative way. Like this is this is what, you know, film can do. We can tell silly stories with outrageous characters and that's the fun of 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 film, you know, because we just pulled from a comic book. I mean, that's why we all read comic books in the first place. We enjoy that kind of stuff. The stuff that you can't really do in reality, but we'd like to to see happen somehow, you know? And they just mire this movie in this kind of, like, serious malaise (laughs) that it never transcends to ever... Like, I never smile in this movie. I never laugh in this movie. I mean, um, if people thought Man of Steel was, like, that he never smiled like I don't think these characters ever smile I mean they get drunk and I don't even know if they smile um you know it's 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 crazy I I just I couldn't understand that you know characters that have these crazy powers that they get like I don't know I can tell you that in my theater the only time that the the audience in my theater had fun is when the Deadpool trailer played (laughs) um that there's and and then there was one second where um johnny goes to fist bump reed and reed is just like awkward dude like flail and then my my theater went and that was like the sum total of the enjoyment of the people in the audience my theater i think what happened is they mistook gritty with grim and I mean just like depressing. Ahaha, uh, 
Ben oh, Grimm. Oh, I like it. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> See, now Daniel um, has just laughed during this podcast more than he laughed in the entirety <laughs> of the hour and 46 minutes he sat through Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's... It's so I'm really glad that we brought up uh, Guardians because it's uh, it's a really interesting contrast. Like the scene in Guardians before the climax when they're all in the ship and there's <laughs> you know the oh now I'm standing and we all look like jackasses scene like where like that they're coming together as a team. Like that moment is earned in that film and like you feel like these characters have been through transitions together and kind of have learned from each other and are are, are now all of their goals are together and they, they want to do something. And then the same, uh, the, the parallel scene in this film, which I guess is the two-second talking scene between the two fights at the climax of the film, you, you don't get any of that. It's not earned at all. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's so all of a sudden, well, they can't beat all of us. Teamwork. And it's like, okay, like... <laughs> There's, you know what I mean? Like, like, oh, we never thought to do something together. There are four of us against one guy. It's just well, it's, it's so a de- as developed as Doom's uh, plan because basically, <laughs> basically the other problem I have besides the fact that what is that third act? Like, we finally get their powers and a fight scene, and it's all in the last like twenty minutes, um, and then they're like, okay, we're done, bye. But. The best part to me is that Doom comes back and he's like, hey guys, super into genocide now. Okay, I'm off to do my evil plan. (laughs) There's no, we have no sense of why he might suddenly want to destroy all life on Earth. Like it goes from him kind of a hipster that, you know, doesn't trust the government to genocide. And like there's like no transition whatsoever. (laughs) He ends up to it, he ends up too looking like a loner hipster board reject. <laughs> it's it's horrible. Where like, where did oh. he get the cloak from on the other planet? I really 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 want to know. He shows up uh, with a he, cloak. He 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 kind of fashioned it out of out of a rudimentary <laughs> lathe. <lane>. Uh, <laughs> okay. Before we kind of complete, we'll, we're going to definitely talk a lot more about some of this stuff. I wanted to be able to talk about, as, as we do on the show, um, there will be plenty of time to talk about things we didn't like. But there are some things that I did find in the, in the movie that I did like. Um, and there there aren't a lot. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you, folks. Um because I wouldn't do that to you. you, you we've, we've built up a trust over so many. And in fact, this is uh, with all of the supplemental episodes and this. This is episode number 50, um, even so it says 43. Uh, and and so you know I'm not going to lie to you. But um, there are a couple things that I'd like. So were there any things for you that as you did watch through the movie that, that you found that you liked? You might not have loved, but you liked. Andy? Um- I did like the fact that they brought up why Sue is white and Johnny is black and dismissed it all in 10 seconds Uh, because that's all the time it needed. Um, After we had to suffer through all of these people being like, but how? I mean, he sets himself on fire, sure, but how can he be black? Um, And so I really liked the fact that they bring it up and dismiss it in like the same breath. Um, I don't know if they they were doing it uh, 
to to just be dismissive of of why it's such a big deal to people that you know there's a race issue there or if it's just they spent as much time on any other development 10 seconds you know for each character um and so they just threw it out there and then it's over but i did like that that they didn't spend a whole lot of time obsessing over that um this is this is their family and that's how it works um so i did like that um i would say that they cast four really great young actors and i'm really sad that the four of them are wasted in this movie because all i i really like all four of them as actors in numerous other projects and i really really like michael b jordan and i really want michael b jordan to be a huge star and it really kills me that this is like his first big international blockbuster movie and it's this Bomb. Yeah, I, I just that makes me so sad <laughs> um, because he's capable of so much more. So I would say like at least that that they they did bring great actors on board, even even if they completely wasted them, and even if they bogged them down with a lot of really grim, depressing. <laughs> I'm really not making a pun. Stop laughing. <laughs> That's just really the say, word that comes to mind when I think of this movie. Um, you can't say grim okay. on a Fantastic Four podcast. From now on, I'll say joyless. Will that make you not giggle? That, <laughs> okay. So just, just you know, sinking them in this joyless dialogue, and then it's just, it's it's sad to me. But good actors. There's there's my two things. Took me two days to come up with them. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Daniel? Were you able to find anything in the film as you watched through that? Okay, I I like this. Um, yeah. Well, I I said that I liked the reference to the the Fantastic Four car uh, early on in the film. That was cute. Um, yeah, that's what I liked. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I liked what it ended. <laughs> I like. I don't like the ending. Don't be. Don't misunderstand that. I did no, like when the the film ended. Liked when the movie was over. When the movie was over. <laughs> I like the prospect. The what really what I want to take away from this is, I like the concept, the idea that maybe now uh, Fox is going to pull a Sony and release the rights to Marvel. I really like that idea. That would be fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> that, that fantastic. that's already they've already said no. We're committed to this somehow. Yeah, so well, they're uh, it'll be a cold day in hell when they're dead cold fingers release the rights to you know well, they X-Men keep, they, and Fantastic Four. If they keep losing their projected $60 million a picture, uh, we'll see how long that lasts for anyways. I, I think you would have had a better chance of Charlton Heston becoming a gun hater <laughs> than giving up the rights. <laughs> so, Andy, I'm I'm with you. I I mean, I do. I, I've seen all of these people in other movies. Miles Teller is, I think, a great young actor. He was in The Spectacular Now, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I really liked him in Whiplash. Michael B. Jordan, of course, really enjoyed his performances in Friday Night Lights. Kate Mara, I, you know, I saw her in House of Cards, and she was excellent. Uh, and Jamie Bell, of course, I remember all the way back from Billy Elliot. So, I mean, all of these people can act if you give them things to act with. And, and, and it was unfortunate, like you said, they're just not given anything to do. But each one, they even play the characters as well as possible. It's just like 
uh, there's just nothing for them I to mean, do. I mean, Jamie Bell, it was like, what, 10 when he did Billy Elliot, something yes. like yep. that. And that is a just epic performance. And Michael B. Jordan must have been around 14 when he was on The Wire and did one of the most like heartbreaking TV arcs of all time on The Wire. And he, you know, really showed his chops right off the bat there. And then both of them have just like Jamie Bell has been kicking around the indie world for a while and doing interesting stuff. And again, for both of them, this was going to this this should have been like a big stepping stone for them in their careers and breaking into a more commercial market. Um, And then Michael B. Jordan, like he he just did Fruitvale Station, which was really good. And he probably should have been nominated for an Oscar for. And then Miles Teller was just nominated for an Oscar, as you said, for Whiplash. It's it's like they, they've got all of the, like, their cast is great. So maybe if they are really going to hold on to the, the rights with their cold, dead hands, like, if they are going to do that and they keep these actors, but they get a different director and a different screenwriter or a different mix of things, maybe they can make Fantastic Four 2 work. But I just don't, I mean, like, this... This must be one of the hugest bombs that we've ever seen for a superhero movie. I mean, the the buzz for it is just horrible. I I was like you, Matthew, in that I wanted to go in as clean as possible because I was hearing bad buzz about it, but I didn't want it to influence me, and I really wanted to like it. When you have reviews that are calling it a cheese grater for your soul and then also add the commercial aspect of it like it's not even just getting crushed by the reviews it's also losing them tons of money that's just that's rough to come back from that's rough to bring a sequel into the mix and expect people to to give you their money again um i I just i don't see how that really works they would have to really do a huge turnaround there you know i know i brought up this point to both of you uh but i wanted to mention it because constantly i'm i'm seeing this idea that the cast is amazing and um you know is wasted on this film and and i'm not disagreeing with that it may be true but i'm only familiar with uh, a handful or or so of these characters uh like i didn't know uh the guy who played reed um or the guy who played johnny or sue and i will say that this while because all of the actors seem bored in this film to me um so obviously this isn't going to be their best film and that's fine i get that the one thing, the one miscasting decision, I would say, or at least I don't see the, I don't, I don't really get the good casting, um, besides Doom, which we won't talk about right now, but uh, is um, Jamie Bell, right? That's the guy who plays um, the yes. thing, right? I didn't, I, I honestly, I didn't, I, I mean, his his performance was fine. It just he didn't he he didn't sound like the thing. I don't know. To, to me, the thing sounds more like uh, Michael Chiklis did in the original the original Fantastic Four, I thought he was a better thing, if that makes any sense, uh, than this guy. Uh, he was the only person that I felt was like, eh, eh I don't really, I don't it really definitely it. is an odd choice. I mean, there's, there's really, there's really no more like a divergent of actors than you can get. Like you put Jamie Bell and Michael Chiklis next to each other and they're both going to bring you completely different things, both in the terms of how they act and like just their physicality and vibe completely different. And I can see preferring Michael Chiklis. I think Jamie Bell could have been interesting, honestly, because 
I mean, it's not like he had to be like some sort of meathead beforehand. Um, you know, once he transforms, that changes his whole the whole physicality aspect of it. So I think it could have been interesting. I don't think it works. I, I don't know if that's because of Jamie Bell or if it's because of the writing. I'm going to tend towards the writing um, and the direction, but I, I hear you. And, and I can see that too. Like when Michael Chiklis was cast for Fantastic Four, I was like, that is pretty great. Um, that is pretty great casting for that. So, I mean, he already looks like the thing. Yeah, I mean, and <laughs> I think that was part of it is like they were like, he's going to he's gonna look like he could be turn into that you know whereas Jamie Bell is a small framed guy especially in comparison so I I can see like that I mean I guess anybody's gonna bulk up when they're attacked by radioactive rocks but whatever yeah well and that was the thing like it's not even so much his the way he physically looks it's his voice and his voice is a smaller voice uh, in, in a lot of ways, especially if you're comparing him to Michael Chiklis. It's just, uh, you know, which I guess makes, maybe that makes sense because you don't, you know, when you're a person and you get transformed into a rock monster, what difference does your voice make? But it's just, to me, like in my head, I, I now when I think of the thing, it's clobbering time, you know, and like I think of Michael Chiklis's kind of uh, over-the-top accent and, and gravelly voice. That makes more sense to me as a to the thing as a character but it was the only only actor that that kind of gave me pause well that was one of the things that uh, i ended up actually kind of liking about the movie and doing a rock monster thing in the first place i mean we know all the way back from star trek 5 all the way to now it it's a really difficult thing to try and pull off and it it doesn't really necessarily work well most of the time um and luckily at least in this film he doesn't look like the orange stay puff marshmallow man uh that the original kind of did and i i kind of liked i i thought that they did a great job i just don't know why he doesn't have pants on um <laughs> it's just weird uh other than that i thought the thing was very successful in it in its look and the way it was animated i mean that's one of the very few things in this movie i think where the graphics were didn't fail <laughs> us you know the computer generated effects in this film are are terrible uh for the most part but he they i I feel like all of their budget went to making him look good and and for the most part i was very pleased with how he looked it just and i i thought jamie bell did a great job voicing the that character and making it deeper and i don't know if they did anything to his voice or anything for it but he it 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 just came off great to me and i really liked that um and then on top of that uh, the the score for this movie I think is one of the best Marvel scores that I've ever heard. Um, on a whole, Marvel films haven't been known for their good themes or scores, but this movie had a really beautiful kind of sweeping theme in there um, that, and I've been listening to the soundtrack, and it's my favorite part of the movie is <laughs> just the music. It, it had kind of like a... Uh, motion picture-esque quality to it like it's something that jerry goldsmith might do and it's marco bellatrami and uh philip glass working together and i it's it it, it's amazing score unfortunately it just you know he can't make this movie better um because everything else went wrong so (laughs) one one point i was thinking about when you were talking about the thing is 
uh, I would have loved, especially on like the TV segments where they were, sh- or the video segments where they were showing the thing smashing stuff up and stuff. If they, you know, even though he doesn't have one, if they blurred out his little orange thing, <laughs> uh, you know. They- <laughs> well, he doesn't have one. That's one of his well, great you, tragedies, yeah, apparently. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, apparently he doesn't ever even have to eat or go to the bathroom at all anymore, which Just we, like we've doing. answered. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, yeah, apparently they're both doomed. <laughs> um, well, okay, so what went wrong with this movie? Everything. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yes, yes, but but, but specifically, and, and, and um, have you guys done any reading kind of to see you? what had happened i mean because there it seems like there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that created a very toxic combination um to create this so yeah what what went wrong and and what can maybe studios learn from this to you know not have this kind of thing happen again they hired josh trank after he did one movie and it that one movie was chronicle which Michael B. Jordan is a million times better in, by the way. Um, and that that movie is basically, it's about three teenagers who get superpowers and then wreak havoc. Um, so you can kind of see where their thinking was. But the thing is, is Chronicle is also very dark and depressing. Um, so, they, I don't know, like starting... Put it, first of all, putting a... Because I think we can agree that Fantastic Four has been a troubled franchise. Um, they have had a lot of trouble bringing it to the big screen. screen. Um, similar, similar, I would say, to the Hulk. So if you're going to put somebody in charge of your $120 million movie or whatever it was, um, maybe not make it their sophomore effort um, and maybe you know pick somebody who has some experience in lighthearted, fun movies because it seems, I'm sorry, but it seems to me like they got exactly what they should have expected to get because everything that works in Chronicle doesn't work for Fantastic Four. Chronicle is very, it's supposed to be dark. It's all about the the problems with getting power and how power destroys and stuff like that. I mean, that's not what you want in a Fantastic Four movie, but... I mean, even the palette, like the colors are all the same and the tone is the same. So I don't know. I, I I think that's the first problem. The second problem is, is they hired him and then apparently they didn't stop getting involved. So it seems like there was a lot of studio versus director interference, which is usually not a good sign. They don't trust your vision. Um... I mean, we've started to hear rumors about his professionalism. Um, I I don't know how true that is, how much of that is just everybody right now trying to pass the blame to each other. Um, But it does seem like it it started right from that beginning of of that director choice. Um, And everything else kind of stemmed from that. You know, I I actually think that the problem is more fundamental than that. so what we haven't mentioned is the 1993-1994 Fantastic Four film that was literally produced and created uh, just so that they could, and never released, just so that they could keep the rights to the franchise. Um, and essentially that's what this is as well. It's, it is a, it's a power grab because if they don't produce this film, 
there's not going to they don't get the rights anymore that those rights revert back to marvel so you know you're an executive at fox and you're going to lose the rights to this potentially potentially lucrative franchise so what you have to make a movie so there was no like creative vision or idea why this movie should be made it was just we have to make a movie in order to keep this these rights so who who cares who cares who directs it or who writes it or or apparently if they're going to keep if they really are hell bent on keeping these rights who cares uh who even comes and sees the movie if it's even any good we just want to hold on to the rights and at that point if if your only goal uh, I mean, of course, it's the goal of every movie to make money, but but you know what I'm saying. If it's like ju- just for this singular purpose, and there's there's no overarching vision or idea that kind of would cement everybody together, it makes total sense to me that uh, the studio didn't really care what the director was doing or what the writer had written, or and it was all just a cluster, uh, and and. and that I think is the fundamental problem with this film because nobody seems to be on the same page and it it fails on every almost every single level. See, I would I would disagree with that though, Daniel. I think that what went wrong is that they started off with the wrong idea, which was to do the ultimate Fantastic Four idea, which is to start off in a in a universe where one, they're all teenagers uh, two, that means in the the ultimate universe, everybody's much more peevish, and I'm using that word because it's PG towards each other. Um, and three, because it is darker. And I don't think that I think that as the foundation is what doesn't work for this. You can do that with X Men. You can do that with Batman. You can do that with. Um, you can even, heck, you can even do it a little bit with Superman, uh, but you can't do it. I, I, and I think, Daniel, you'd even agree, Man of Steel is way better than this I, I will movie. totally agree with you that. <laughs> so, I mean, you can, you can at least go as far as they did in Man of Steel and make a much better film than yeah, this. I, yeah, yeah. So, um, moving the goalposts, I, I think, but, yeah. yeah, I think that was, for me, when I'm thinking about it, that's what goes wrong, is that they just start with the wrong idea that all superhero movies need to have this darker, grittier feel. They need to feel someone like they need to be Nolan influenced, basically. And and that's obviously not the case, as we already talked about with um, Guardians of the Galaxy, that you don't have to do that. Now, again, Marvel takes its films seriously. Um, it, it treats the characters with respect. I think what happens here is there's absolutely no respect really for the characters or are are the history and and yes it it's very much reminiscent of the ultimate universe but is that really the best universe to try and put on screen here because having this almost be like a horror movie where these characters get these powers with in the worst possible way and and they're kind of transformed and mutilated like again like i don't think that's the way to go and I think that's what goes wrong is that they just start off with this idea and they keep building on that and it gets away from them. And, and then because of the studio interference, because of probably what happened with, with, with the director and them butting heads, all the other things. And, and we're not, I'm not here to trash Josh Trank or anything like that. I'm not speculating on what happened, but apparently there were things that did happen. I don't know what they are, but it's evident on what we get. And 
all that puts together I just a movie that does have no vision that does look like it was made by amateurs that you know that's kind of what happens because I I just think the very beginning idea it, it I mean the, the writer in this movie one of the writers is Simon Kinberg and he helped write the last X-Men movie uh, he's works on Star Wars Rebels the guy knows how to do his stuff you know so it, it that something happened it's like it's like the the stars aligned <laughs> and unfortunately it aligned to make this just a horrible movie and that is too bad we should so, say that there are um, some people that like this movie um yes uh, for one mike schindler oh. of standard orbit i <laughs> He did, really? Yeah, he did yeah. give it a three star. It's not like he thought it was wow. a, a great, uh, awesome masterpiece. He was just like, yeah, it's an okay movie. You know, um, so there are people that, that didn't hate it as much as we did. So, I mean, if you're trying to decide whether to go or not, I would say don't go. But um, also, <laughs> no, I mean, make your own decision on whether you, whether you want to go. And although the three of us are very much in agreement that this was a failure of a movie, uh, there are people who have liked it. So... Just to just to brighten it a little bit, um, there's. But, and, you I'm know, trying. So I'm trying so hard. <laughs> really are. Uh, and one one other thing, though, just to your point, Matthew. You know, if if the fun the fu- the the fundamental problem with this film is 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 this gritty uh, ultimate universe outlook on on the movie, then. I think you're forgetting that we already had two Fantastic Four films that are not based in that and are, by all accounts, maybe slightly less failures, but failures nonetheless. Like, it's not just that... I mean, I, I agree that that's probably one of the biggest problems is is how they kind of tonally, how they set this film, but it's not the only problem. And it's it's clear that it's maybe, like you mentioned earlier, the Hulk... Maybe it's just really hard to make a movie featuring these characters. Maybe it's it's not a simple formula. Maybe it's a, everybody loves the Hulk in the Avenger films, but they for the life of them they can't figure out how to make him work by himself. Maybe the Fantastic Four just doesn't translate well to, to the big screen. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just haven't found the right creative team. But we have, we now have two very disparate, very separate versions of Fantastic Four on on you know, in the movies and and everybody hates all of them. So I like maybe it's a blending of the two that needs to happen or the, you have to get the right creative team or whatever but it maybe the Fantastic Four just isn't a good movie because the Fantastic Four just doesn't make for a good movie. I don't know. It almost seems like it needs to be the earnestness of Captain America when uh the original uh, first Avenger and the fun of Guardians, and if you kind of put those two things together, you might get a, a better Fantastic Four movie. I think um, because both of those films uh, do some some amazing things. You know, you get the character who gets his powers uh, in Captain America, learning how to use those powers and. Uh, you know how to fight in injustice and all that and then you know the guardians you have that crazy outlandish fun with some crazy characters um you know and and 
I think in the end, the Thing is probably one of the weirdest, craziest characters. He is very much kind of like the Hulk in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, the, the, you raise a really great question, Daniel, to which Hollywood obviously does not have an answer. And I don't know if we have any answers, but I do think um, that maybe looking to some of the things that Marvel Studios had done, if they had done that, they might have... I, I, honestly, as we said before, just look at The Incredibles, and you kind of have an idea of how cool the Fantastic Four could be. Um, and part of that is not apologizing for how goofy they are. Just embrace it. Embrace the weird goofiness that is the Fantastic Four. Uh, and I think that any time that really a superhero movie tries to outsmart its source material, we really get this kind of thing. You're just like, Ugh, you know? Because at least if they just like really played with the source material like straight up, which they still haven't done in the Fantastic Four movies. Um, I don't know. Maybe it would have worked better. So, uh, story for you guys. Um, <laughs> there was a story. I mean, there, there was a story here. What, what was the yeah, story? Yeah, there was a. There is a story. Uh, I noticed that the movie starts, and he's in Oyster Bay. Uh, the two kids, and I was like, are, are they going to pass like Spider Man's house? <laughs> like, uh, like, is he live next door? Because it really does look exactly the same neighborhood as they always put Peter Parker in. <laughs> that would have Even made this movie is, a thousand times yeah. better. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that one cameo alone would have been, like, mind-blowing. I will but. say that I actually did kind of... I, I liked the very, very beginning. Um, Like, the, you know, little Ben and little Reed, like, and making the teleporter in his garage. I thought that was all pretty cute. Um, I think, okay, here's... Here's the problem with the story, besides the fact that there really isn't. That it's so weird. There, like, if you really think about it, very little happens in this movie. Um, but I think the weirdest thing about it is that they spend so much time before we get their powers, and then they skip all of the time where we would be seeing them learn about their powers. They skip that and flash forward. And then they have their final fight. And that is the weirdest superhero movie pacing I've ever seen. Because I remember I I was actually actively trying not to look at my phone and text and stuff because I hate that. But I was also so bored that I, I it was hard for me to just like sit still. At one point, though, when they are going after the final climactic doom battle... I actually did check my my phone because I was like, wait a second. You have to have an opening action battle to like have them learn their powers and work together and learn their limitations. They have to like lose one and then they come back stronger, you know? And I check and I'm like, wait a second. This movie is 10 minutes out from being done. That can't be right. And then the end. I, just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, really? I mean, I, it's not even that I wanted more because I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. But I was also just like shocked. I was like, how how do you how do you spend an hour or so of your movie with just slow, glacially paced non characterization origin story? And then do your climactic battle in the last, like, 20 minutes 
and then end the movie. That's just, I can't, if you did a graph of that. You'd do it just like this, Andy. <laughs> I mean, this is how you do that. Just, and and it, let's, let's not forget, <laughs> right, that the only reason the Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom have their powers is because they got <laughs> drunk. That's it. Hey, man, they got drunk and they stole the space car. Yeah. The the teleporting space car. Uh, that's what happens when super smart kids get drunk. I mean, it's so, 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 so bad. Like, like the this, oh, man, this bothered me the most. This, this, this middle of the movie scene where, you know, nobody ever remembers who designed the Apollo rocket. Why don't we go first? And then, like... And it was really funny. I was reading a review, and they were talking about uh, the scene where they they send the really poorly CG'd chimpanzee to this planet, right? And they bring it back, and the and the guy comes up, and he's like, you know what? We should get NASA involved. Uh, you know, somebody that's over the age of, I don't know, 22. <laughs> and which seems like a completely reasonable argument to make at that point of the film. And uh, they're like, no, we... We want to go. Nobody will remember us if we don't go now. Let's go now. And then they go and do everything wrong. Literally everything wrong. And and they come back and they have their powers. And then they hate the fact that they have their... I, I'm getting too well, far it's, ahead. It's sorry. just it's an just example stupid. of the stunningly poor decision making um, that characterizes a great deal of this movie. Which uh, the characters make inexplicable decisions that don't make any sense. I really like the part where um, they're on in whatever they changed. They kind of change it up. They call it what Planet Zero or something. Um, anyway, so they're there, and first of all, that that chimpanzee like didn't leave the pod. So, like, they don't know that, like, going out into the actual area is going to be safe at all, which it clearly wasn't. <laughs> but they go out and they're like... No, no, no. <laughs> One test. Totally it's fine. fine. <laughs> so they go out there and then they're like, you know what? This is, like, green stuff. I'm going to stick my hand in it. That seems like a really good idea. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's green. I better stick my hand in it. And then, hang on. And I have to... I really have to bring this point home. The second time they go, they don't even bring spacesuits. There's presumably there's no air on this planet. They just go and they're like, well, whatever. Well, they're fantastic now. <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. It's so stupid. <laughs> and and let's also let's also bring up the fact, Andy. I'm glad you're here. Uh, so four of these characters have been like slaving hard on this machine for presumably months, possibly longer. Uh, you know, you've got Doom. You've got Reed. You've even Johnny, I guess, kind of, because he can build anything, even with a broken Except arm. Except for an engine that and, works and then, well enough to go over a certain RPM. <laughs> Anyways, so but but all of the, but all of these guys are going to go to the planet, and nobody thinks, oh hey, you know who would be useful? Somebody who designed <laughs> the suits and has been around the project since the very start. They never even think to ask Sue to you come You know who along. has to like, come, though? She just gets left Daniel, <laughs> Daniel, she's the girl. We gotta keep her safe, okay? I love, though, that like they're like, not Sue, who's been here the whole time and like is a scientist. No, no, no. We need to bring the guy from back home and like we're gonna wait for him to wake up and come all the way over here and be like, let's go. 
and he has no training or anything. I just, I, okay, here's the thing too, is I really hate, okay, we're, we're talking about how bad the ending is, but let's talk about something else, another inexplicable decision, in that apparently this guy who's running this huge science project goes to like high school science fairs just to check them out, <laughs> like see, hey, maybe somebody's doing, you know, quantum physics in this random, right next to the volcano, uh, <laughs> The baking soda volcano is going to be the next scientific breakthrough. <laughs> it might be a high school science fair, but it looks well, more like, like, like little kids <laughs> everywhere. Anyways, okay, so he picks them up there, and then presumably we're told that Ben and Reed have been working on this for the last what ten years, and they're like, "Okay, Reed, it's like scholarship for you, Reed. Good job, Reed, and none for Ben Grimm." <laughs> just leave him there and then reed goes off to the school and ben is just left behind and like it's i don't understand like at least bring him along but then like you make your big breakthrough and that's when you remember to call him but sue you know whatever whatever sue none for you either sue it's just it's really frustrating it it, the decision making is is stunning Uh, i what i don't get to is that andy you mentioned the pacing and I don't, and you can totally tell that this movie has so many scenes that are missing, because there's that whole section where he runs away, where Reed runs away, and that whole area is the time when normally in the movie they'd be discovering their powers, figuring out how to use them, all that kind of stuff, and instead we spend this whole time on this chase. And we get none of the fun that you're supposed to get when people have superpowers. Like, and it really doesn't mean anything. Like, the the whole scene of them finding him and what he was doing and why he ran away, none of it's really explained. We, you kind of have to infer from as the audience, okay, well, I guess he's trying to get back to the planet so that he can, you know, find a way to fix them. Uh, but... It, it comes to moot. Like, it doesn't matter that he ran away. It only just matters so that they can skip head of time a year. But there's, again, that's the scene where you would have all the fun stuff. Okay, we're learning how to use our powers and be a team. But none of that happens. So, like you said, Daniel, by the time you get to the end and they're like, oh, let's team up. You're like, what the? It doesn't make, There's there's absolutely no internal logic to the film of why things happen there's no equal and opposite reaction to any of the things like it just seems like a a massive conglomeration of random crap and we put it all together and hoped evolution would happen but it didn't what it really feels like is that they dragged they made the they made what should have been the first act they dragged it into two whole acts, skipped the middle act, and then went straight to the last one. That's exactly what it feels like. And they could have, they should have shed at least 30 minutes in the middle of this movie and kept it in the beginning. For one thing, okay, so we have our four Fantastic Four. It's probably 20 to 30 minutes in before we even meet Johnny Storm. That's a problem. Like, you need to be a lot faster with that. Like, we need to get to the point where they're a team and where they have powers and they're working together so much faster 
So then we can actually have at least a third of the movie devoted to them doing superhero things. But we don't get any of that. It, it skips all of that, as you said, and then just goes straight to the final battle in which Doom must be the like most easily defeated villain of all time. <laughs> no, no, they work together. That's why it worked. That's why it seems so easy. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm rem- so I don't remember a lot of the original, you know, the early aught. Fantastic Four film, but I do remember a scene when they all come back to Earth, and uh, Chris Evans is fl- you know snapping his fingers and starting fires, and Jessica Alba is turning invisible, and whoever that guy is can stretch things, and and Chris Evans, of course, because by the way, the Chris Evans Michael Chiklis uh, relationship in that film is a thousand times better than any relationships we get in this film. Uh, but he's like, well, how come you can't turn it off? Why are you always a rock dude? And like that line of dialogue, that scene, it encompasses more understanding of the characters, more character development than anything we get, and more fun, more poking, teasing. You know, we get a little bit of the poking, teasing, like maybe a dusting of the poking, teasing of the of the uh, Johnny Storm. Uh, ben Grimm relationship at the end, uh, far too little, far too late, and it was a. Uh, but it it just it showed at least these. The movie's not great, but it showed that they understood the characters much, much more than this film does. So the, you know, it's a hundred and twenty million dollar project. So the effects and the production of it have to look good, right? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so nobody can see this. Uh, but in our notes, I have this wonderful picture of Crash Test Dummy <laughs> plus the Terminator <laughs> equals Doom. And that is exactly what he looks like. He looks just like a That's Crash it. Test Dummy that got like mutilated <laughs> by a Terminator and with some like green highlights instead of red. <laughs> He looks so bad. I mean, it's like a walking, like, plastic doll. He's horrible. This is the same studio that brought us Ian Ian McKellen as Magneto. They can do good bad guys. Why can they not figure out how Doom works? It's really not that hard. Like, he is one of the best bad guys in all, like... Darth Vader draws influence from from Doctor Doom. Like Doctor Doom has been around forever and is so cool, and they just don't understand. Like, is this is is this the worst part? The most frustrating part of the movie? I think possibly. <laughs> I just I have to say, like, I walked out of the theater and I texted Daniel immediately and was like, "What are we gonna do? We have to do a podcast about this," and then. So I was the first one to see it. And then I said to Matt, I was like, well, maybe you'll like it. Like, I really hope you do. And then we can we can tell you why you're wrong. And then I, I opened this outline. I didn't get a chance to talk to you before that. And you didn't get a chance to tell me what you thought. And I opened that outline at work when I was supposed to be working. And I spit my coffee all over my desk when I got to the crash test dummy. I was like reading through this outline. I'm like, well, Matt's definitely on the same page. And then I get to this amazing graphic with the crash test dummy. I was just like, that is so accurate. I cannot unsee it now. So um, maybe you should make that our, our header for the for this show. <laughs> Crash test dummy. Uh, so good. I, 
it is it is really frustrating when you're we're watching a movie like this and I mean, we know what Hollywood is capable of with superhero films, with with fantastic films, uh, fantastical films. I mean, just amazing things. And there's so much. I mean, when they go to the other planet, I never for one second ever think that there's any part of that planet that's real. Even the spaceship they get out of, it all looks so badly CGI'd and, and I don't have a problem with CGI. I just have a problem with bad CGI at this point because we know we can do it well. And there's just, you know, there's just nothing about this movie except for, I think, the thing that really looks good. Like, that I could tell they'd spent some time on and I felt like it worked. But everything else, I mean... I was hopeful. I mean, it's like, okay, the thing looks good. Hopefully, Doctor Doom will be cool. No, no, Doctor Doom looks like a turd. Again, <laughs> it's been molded into this crash test dummy. Can someone tell me where he got his hood, his whole cloak from in the first film or the first scene where he is, quote unquote, Doctor Doom? I, I just, it doesn't. It, he, he doesn't. He's okay. He's existed on this planet for a year. We're we're, we're told. Show right? not told. That's um, always good storytelling. Okay, does, yep. <laughs> does he eat? Uh, does, does he have to poop? Uh, <laughs> like, does he have green energy poops? I don't know. How does this work? Like this makes. And then he showed up with a cloak that he never had, and then just can you know pop everybody's brains because <laughs> reasons because. Science, right? Because things. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, don't pay See, attention to the man behind the curtain. If it were fun, we wow. wouldn't be asking these questions, you know? Like, if it were it were, if it were, fun and we enjoyed it, then you don't think about stuff like that. And plot holes, you can forgive them because you enjoyed it. Whereas when it's this bad, then you start going, but wait a second. But wait a second. And then you start like really thinking about it. And then I think this is why when I walked out of the theater, I was like, wow, that was bad. And then for like 10 minutes, I was like, wow, that was really bad. And like it was all kind of like coalescing in my mind. And I was rethinking about it. I'm like, but what about, oh my gosh, and that? And how how did they do that? And why did they do that? And like it's just, and Doom is one of those things. I'll just never get over that. Like, they flash forward a year. We don't know where he's been or what he's been doing or what his life has been like. And he just shows up. And he's, I especially love that they played up this like kind of creepy crush he has on Sue, which doesn't work, by the way. Nothing um, like with any Sue. Any of works, the characterization. Unfortunately, in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But he comes back and he's like. So anyway, I'm going to destroy Earth. <laughs> then he says to Sue, like, wish it could have turned out different. <laughs> and then he leaves. I mean, we could have been together, but whatever. <laughs> See you, Earth. This could have been us, but you play in. <laughs> like, what? No, no. You don't realize that um, Doom TV is huge there. Uh, they have really great <laughs> uh, green energy shows, and uh, it's all sponsored by Green Energy, and it's it's very entertaining. I tell you what, the uh, Big Brother Green Energy show is beyond anything <laughs> you've ever seen here on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Oh my goodness. Well, out of five, what would you rank this movie? <laughs> out of five stars. Or out of five Doom Dookies. <laughs> Good question. Can we do zero or is it like one, two, three, four, five? One star being one star being the say worst. You, say you, you could do half stars, so you could give it like a half star. Okay. I'll give it a half star for Michael B. Jordan. The end. <laughs> I mean that this is mm, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, and that is saying something, and I feel really bad saying that because as much as we've discussed all of the things that don't work on this podcast today, I don't think any of the three of us actually likes just spending a lot of time. Like, I feel almost like we're kicking a corpse because this poor movie and the people that made this movie are just getting dragged all over the place. That's not what we want to do. Like, we we want things to succeed. This one didn't. I'm sad that it didn't. It's really, really bad. Hopefully they do better in the future. And I'm sorry, guys. Thanks for trying. I'm sure you worked really hard. Come back hard. next time. <laughs> yeah, basically. I don't know what else to say. Like, I, I, I feel bad. This whole this movie makes me feel bad. On, like, every level. Well, you shouldn't build, feel bad. The only thing you did was go to the movie and be subjected to it because you were going to be on this podcast. Yes, and by the way, I was sitting in the theater going, <sighs> Matt rushing. What do you, how dare, I can't believe I have to see, I'm sitting through this movie for Well, you. hey, you know that you're going to be on Mocking Jay Part 2 with me, and you're going to love that, so you'll be thanking me then, It'll right? all even yeah, out, It'll I all guess. even out in the end, I hope. <laughs> what about you, Daniel? Uh, yeah, you know, it's just this movie... It, it's not like unwatchable, but it, there is literally no fun to watching this movie. There's you just you're not gonna have a good time. It's just drab and boring and and not great. It's just there's no redeeming quality for it. It's it's just not fun. And and if if you're not gonna have any sort of enjoyment out of a movie like this, a comic book movie, then why even go? You know, if I had to rate it, I, I guess I would put it. I, I, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to say a point four out of five, because uh, you know you got to keep the four theme going in there somewhere. So just say you, no. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Daniel, because I um, I have a coworker who asked me; he was like interested because I was like. I was trying to avoid the reviews, but I saw the cheese grater for your soul thing, and I was like, oh, God, I hope that one's wrong. Um, and so he was interested, and I, he was like, oh, man, you say it's so bad. Like, now I'm kind of, like, curious to go see it and see how bad it is. Let me tell you, this is not the kind of movie you're going to enjoy watching because it's bad. It's not awesomely bad, you know? It's not one of those kinds of movies where you're like, like, here's a good example. Batman and Robin. I think we can all agree that Batman and Robin is absolutely horrible. But you can still have fun watching Batman and Robin because it's so horrible. It's funny. Great drinking games. In, exactly. This is not that kind of fun. Okay? This is just relentlessly boring, miserable. Um, and the most fun we've had about it with this is on this podcast. 
Like, I can't even... I cannot even describe to you the lack of fun you will have. I'm sad. For me, this is... Uh, I, I rated this one and a half stars. Um, that is because I I enjoyed the thing. I, I thought he was good looking in the film. The the way that they they did the CGI for him, I I thought that was good. And for me, I, I really again I loved the score for this movie, and I loved the theme for this movie. It is just unfortunate that the theme didn't have a fantastic movie to go with it. It it had this, and you, you know. What I love about doing the 602 Club is the fact that uh, we talk honestly and openly about things. We do try to be as positive as, as possible. And there are some times where the movie just makes that nigh impossible. And, um, in fact, talk about Mission Impossible. Uh, you know, go see that instead of Fantastic Four. We talked about that last week. Um we had a fantastic time talking about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation because it was so good. Uh, Andy, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording about the the awfulness of what they did to Sue's character. Well, that movie had a fantastic female character that we couldn't stop raving about. So uh, this is just... I turned to my wife and we both kind of looked at each other and I was like, well, it's not abysmal, but it's terrible. And it really just is. It is a terrible movie. And Daniel, I love what you said. I didn't have fun. I, I just didn't. Um, and I, I'm disappointed because for what Fox has done mostly with, I have liked a majority of the X-Men films. And I really think they're fantastic. In fact, um, Days of Future Past is one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. X-Men First Class is amazing. X2 is still good. Uh, the original X-Men, I even enjoyed the Wolverine uh, a few years ago with, with just uh, Hugh Jackman. I thought that was a great film for me. So, and all those are fun. They know how to make good movies with Marvel characters. I'm They just can't seem to pull it off with the Fantastic Four. So, you know, I'm crossing my fingers that um, maybe next time it'll turn out better. Um I'm going to say that uh, I won't be putting it on the schedule right away for the 602 Club. Uh, we'll be waiting, but uh, I, I honestly had a great time talking about the Fantastic with Four with you guys and kind of talking through some of the ways um, that the film just doesn't live up and, and maybe some of the things, I guess, that Hollywood studios need to look at. Just because it's a comic book movie doesn't mean it's going to be good. I mean, you know, geez, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comes to mind. That's a horrible film, too, you know. Uh, but I'd still rather watch that than this. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, don't forget to check out all the shows on Trek.fm. They're all over the place. We've got shows, like I said earlier, uh, ranging from all of the different series, different perspectives, books and comics, behind the scenes, and then, of course, uh, the 602 Club. You can find those at iTunes.com slash Trek.fm and Trek.fm. If you are an Apple user, we are running a special promotion right now with the 602 Club. If you give us a review and a star rating on iTunes, you will be entered to win a $50 gift card as well as the USS Vengeance from Eagle Moss. Uh, my uh, friend Norm here, uh, executive producer here on the network, is providing that. He's got an extra one. So go ahead. 
get those reviews in. Uh, I've really appreciated all the reviews that we've been getting lately. It's been a lot of fun to see what you guys think about the show. I appreciate all the times that people reviewed or rated us because right now we're still a five-star podcast. So thank you guys. And we just want to say thank you for giving those reviews. So go out and do that. The contest will end in October and we'll pick the winner at the beginning there of October. So you have plenty of time to get your reviews in and they'll show up on iTunes. Guys, if you're not on iTunes, we are on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. You can go to the website and grab the RSS link, and you can also get the MP3 file. You can either download that or stream it from the website. So we're everywhere. That's that's You never have to worry about being away from your Trek FM podcasts. Another way that you can keep all the shows coming to each week is, of course, with patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can help support the network. We're listener-supported. We need your help. I'd really like to thank Ken Tripp. He's my associate producer here on the show, and you know, without him, uh, the show wouldn't come to you each week. Um, and there's a lot of costs that go into creating a podcast, whether it's uh, storage space online or even just at home for all the files that we have. Uh, we've got uh, all the other production of editing and software and all that stuff it all takes time it all takes money and we need your help so go to patreon.com slash trekfm you can learn how you could maybe be on the patreon roundtables that will win's been doing you could get exclusive content producer credit seats on the content development team and so much more so check us out there at patreon.com slash trekfm appreciate the executive producers i work with norman c lyle and C. brian jones those guys are amazing and it's a lot of fun uh working with them on the network Guys, uh, goodness, before we go, tell everybody about your own podcasts and where they can find you online. Andy? Uh, you can find me elsewhere on Trek FM with Women at Warp, where uh, four women talk about Star Trek. You can also um, see me live tweet my first time watching Star Trek at First Time Trek, and I'm currently on uh, Deep Space Nine, Woo-hoo! which is really fun. Yep, it's Matt's favorite. So also... Um, you can uh, check out some of my older tweets. I'm doing an archive project at firsttimetrack.tumblr.com. So um, I've been posting the TNG tweeting there. So if you were not around in July of 2013, <laughs> you can still take a look at those and, and see what it was like back then. So. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter uh, at OneUpDan. That's the number one, not the word, where I rant and rave about lots of different things. And you can find me uh, also here on the network. On Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated TNG show, uh, where we have a fantastic three out of four uh, with uh, me, Darren, and Philip. And we just recently released our 100th episode here uh, on the network. You should all go give that a listen. It's a really fantastic episode with lots of familiar voices if, if you enjoy Trek FM. Well, guys, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can find me on Instagram at MRushing. I'm also doing The Orb, which is uh, Trek FM's dedicated Deep Space Nine podcast with Christopher Jones. And then I also do Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek, which is really the only place to get kind of new Star Trek when you think about it, uh, with the latest novels coming out, all your favorite characters from the Prime Universe. We interviewed the authors as well. It's so much fun. I hope you'll check it out. I have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Everyone out there, I'd like to thank you for listening, and y'all come back now, you hear?